All right, church, we doing good today? We good? We good? Hey, I want to take a minute. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online and, of course, all of our friends and family over at the South Side, South Campus. South Campus, we love you. And we love you online. We love you here. We love you there. And the best way we can show you that is by clapping for you. So come on, everybody. Would you put your hand together? Welcome, everybody, who is watching with us today. Um, man, I'm just so ex uh, excited about today. And if you're new to church, I just want to take a minute. I want to say we are so pumped that you're here. And we believe that God has something amazing for you. Uh, that, the God of the God, uh, that the God of the Bible is more than just a myth or fiction. But he is real and he is alive and he is moving. And he has a plan for your life. And so we hope that you feel a little bit of that today and you leave encouraged in that. And we're so glad that you're here. All right. Well, hey, we are, we are in a series on the book of Nehemiah, all right? We're looking at this guy who is a very normal guy, all right? Just a normal guy who gets a pretty cool job opportunity and he takes it and he uses it to advance God's purposes, all right? And so basically what this is, and we've been unpacking this over the last few weeks, and if you missed any of it, I want to encourage you to go online, check it out. You can go to our website. You, also, you can also go to our app and watch it and listen to it on our app. Um, but it's a, it's a series that's all been building upon each other. All right, so here's Nehemiah. He gets this great opportunity, and, and he's a cupbearer to the king. So he basically is the food tester. He's the royal food tester. Every piece of food that comes in, he gets a chance to taste it and eat it before the king does. And so he's got influence, and he gets an opportunity. He prays, and he's like, man, I feel like God is stirring my heart to do something about some brokenness that I see, all right? So he sees Jerusalem. The walls are in ruins, and he's like, somebody needs to do something about that. And God's like, yes, that somebody is you. And that's how God works a lot of times, right? We start praying about something. We start being like, oh, man, someone needs to do something like that. And God's like, yes, and that person is you. And Nehemiah steps in, and he starts moving forward to repair the brokenness that he sees, all right? So that's what we're talking about. We talked about how he prayed, how he came up with a plan. He took a bold step. Last week, we talked about how he built a team. We talked about how teamwork makes the dream work. Okay, you guys, some of you are there. Okay, great. Okay, awesome. Now we're going to talk about when things get scary for him, all right? He's going he's gonna to experience a little bit of opposition. Things are going to get scary. And, and that's appropriate on Halloween, okay, to talk about things that are scary. And uh, as I started thinking about that, I thought about my dad who would tell us Scary campfire stories. Anybody heard a great scary campfire story before? Just raise your hand at both locations if you had, okay. So uh, that's my dad. We'd always love to do that. He'd get everybody together, and, you know, we're all little kids. And he told us a story about Old Man Joe. Old Man Joe. I don't know if you guys ever heard about Old Man Joe. But Old Man Joe used to wander the woods, and he would walk into people's backyards, and he would steal their chickens. Because he liked to eat those chickens raw and alive. Only problem with old man Joe is that he couldn't tell the difference between chickens and little kids. <laughs> so sometimes old man Joe would wander into a campsite and, you know, eat little kids. And you never know, you always had to be on the watch out for old man Joe when you were camping. And, and sometimes you could hear him wandering through the woods because he'd have some of those live chickens around his belt because he liked to eat them live and raw. So you'd hear him. And all of a sudden, 
Did I get you? We would all jump, of course, as little kids. And then, of course, the whole weekend, my dad's just going. <laughs> telling, trying to scare us. Now, uh, campfire stories are, are, are fun. They can be fun. They can also be terrifying, depending on how far you go with it. Um, but, but, but fear, fear is a real thing. And it's, it's really not to be played with. Like real fear. Because real fear, how many of you know, can be crippling? How many know like real fear can, can grab a hold of you and mess you up to where you don't want to do anything? How many of you know that real fear can keep you from moving forward in the life and the plan that God has for you? That's what real fear can do when it gets a hold of you. And, and that's what happens in, in our next section of Nehemiah. He comes up against some opposition. And, and I just want to start, before we jump in to this, and just say, you know, maybe some of you, you've, you're in a, a fearful place right now. Maybe it's fear about moving forward in what the Lord has, or maybe it's fear about, about taking a step of faith, or maybe it's fear about a relationship or a job opportunity, or maybe it's just fear of life. Maybe you're just afraid, and it's crippling you. And I want you to know that God has better than fear for you. He has something called faith. He has faith, and faith is powerful. It's powerful. Now, faith comes from God, and fear comes from the enemy of our souls, the devil, all right? So I want to talk a little bit about that just for a second, because you're like, oh, man, seriously, you believe in a devil? Like, I mean, isn't that just something like, you know, isn't he walking around with little horns and a pitchfork, you know, and he sits on one shoulder and the angel sits on the other? You know, isn't that, isn't that the reality? No, the reality is, Jesus said, there is an enemy, and he is the thief, and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's important that we know who he is and that we have an appropriate understanding of what he does. There's two extremes in Christianity. A lot of times, we make everything into a devil. Oh, there's a devil under your chair. There's a devil sitting on top of your head. There's a devil in your chair. There's, your, your chair is the devil. Like, we go a little bit crazy, or we go to the other side. And we don't say anything is the devil. Like the devil's not in anything. It's all just human mind and psychology and medicine. And we don't recognize that, that there is a spiritual component to this life. And there's a spiritual enemy in this life. And his name is the devil. C.S. Lewis says it really well when he says uh, in the screw tape letters, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Anybody ever met that person? You know, like uh, they themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both heirs. You know, I, I, there's a proverb that says, the man of God will avoid all extremes. That's true when it comes to our theology, or not our theology, but our understanding of the enemy of our souls. And so I want to look at this. This is what opposition looks like. And, and when you experience opposition in your life, this is important that you understand where it's coming from. Opposition isn't just bad luck. Opposition just isn't just happenstance. There is an enemy of your souls who is looking to take you out. He wants to get you crippled with fear, and he ultimately wants you to give up. And his plan, what I want to show you in, in Nehemiah, his plan is very predictable. 
You can know and understand and anticipate the plans of the enemy, and that's what we see in, in Nehemiah. If you're taking notes, I want, I want you to write these things down, okay? I'm going to give you the, the four strategies that the enemy of your souls tries to, 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 to bring your way to get you off of God's plan. All right, first of all, he wants to distract you. We're going to see that in Nehemiah. He wants to bring a distraction to you. Second, he wants to cause you to doubt. Is there a God? Does he exist? Will he help you? Third, he wants to discourage you. He wants you just, 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 to, just to get so overwhelmed that you get discouraged to ultimately bring you to the fourth thing is that's to destroy all hope. He wants you to give up. That's where he wants to get you. He wants to distract you. He wants to cause you to doubt. He wants to discourage you, and then he wants to destroy all hope. That's what we're going to see in Nehemiah, and that's the devil's play for us. Anybody just raise a hand at both locations as a testimony of the truth of that. How many of you ever experienced any of that in your life? Doubt, discouragement, distraction, or wanting to give up? Yeah, I think we all have. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. God is never there, but the enemy always is. And so I want to look at this. I want to show you in the book of Nehemiah how he gives us a clinic, a literal clinic on how to deal with opposition when it comes our way in the form of distractions, doubts, discouragements, and destroying all hope. So I want to give you, I want to give you these things. I want to, we're going to look at Nehemiah. I want to go back to chapter 2. Okay, so we were in chapter 3 last week looking at the team. I want to go back to chapter 2 because as soon as he starts rebuilding, he meets opposition. Okay, so we're going to walk through this. We're going to walk way better. If you're ready, jump in. Say, I am. All right, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Remember that? Like, God just came through for him. It was the Lord. God answered prayer, sent him with resource. Look at, so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, and the king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So when Sanballat, though, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed. Everybody say disturbed. They were disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, Sanballat is an official of Persia, probably the governor of Samaria, and Tobiah works underneath him. So these guys have some authority, and they get upset. Nehemiah is coming to build the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild them, and they get upset. They don't like it, and we don't know how they communicated that they didn't like it, but somehow Nehemiah finds out that they don't like it. They sent word somehow. They sent a letter. They communicate, hey, we don't like what you're doing, and we're going to tell you about it. Classic bully move, right? Right? Like this is what happens. You know, I see you, and I see what you're doing. I don't like it. That's the devil. That's what the devil does. And what they're trying to do is distract him from his calling, even as he's about to start it. But here's what's amazing, and this gives us the clue to the first way that Nehemiah pushes past it. Watch, watch how Nehemiah responds. The very next verse, he just keeps going. Look, verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem. I went to Jerusalem. He doesn't say, so I got really afraid. So they started bullying me and I just gave up. I just said, no, that sounds too hard. No, he says, so I went 
And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. And he starts planning, he starts strategizing, he starts looking at it. And in verse 18, skip down to verse 18 in your Bible, he rallies the troops and gets ready to work. In verse 18, so they began this good work. He just goes to work. It's just amazing. They had authority, but, but what did Nehemiah understand? He had greater authority. They came with some authority, but he came with the highest authority. He came with the king's authority. Come on, doesn't that hit us right where we live? How many know the devil has some authority in our lives? He does. He has some freedom to bring damage and pain and, and, and destruction on this earth. But how many of you know we have a greater authority? How many of you know when Jesus says this in John 4, that one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world? How many of you know that's true? That you've got the God who spoke the world into existence. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've given your heart to him, you are no longer fighting the devil on yourself, fighting the battles by yourself. You've got the king of kings in your corner. Come on, somebody. You've got the Lord of lords in your lounge. And you can move forward knowing that you've got a higher authority. You can say, devil, get behind me. You can say, get behind me. You bring your distraction, your doubt, your discouragement. So Nehemiah gets going, but as often happens with us, the opposition is only getting started. Verse 19, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So now it seems that they're actually showing up in person. They initially sent word, but now they're, 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 they're showing up in person. Nehemiah starts up, and they show up. How many of you know this? When you start moving towards God, the enemy of your souls doesn't like it. How many of you ever started, like, a new Bible reading plan, you know, and, like, you're like, oh, tomorrow is the day. I'm going to crush this. God, tomorrow. I'm gonna, and then all of a sudden, like, your phone dies, like, and the alarm doesn't go off. You know, and you're like, how did that happen? It's never, ever happened. You know, there is an enemy of your souls. You know, or, 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 or like all of a sudden, like, you know, your, your kids will be up all night. You know, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. And your kids are up all night. And I mean, literally, this, this is what happens. Nehemiah starts up and the devil shows up. When you start messing with the devil's kingdom, he's going to start messing with you. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, man, what, what are you doing wrong? You must be doing something wrong if you're having, like, all of this problem and all of this opposition in your life. You might not actually be doing anything wrong. You might just actually be doing something right. How many know this? If, if you're in the devil's camp, he doesn't need to mess with you. He just needs to maintain you. So if you haven't given your life to Christ, he's good. He's good. He ain't going to mess. He's going to try to make your life nice and comfortable and lost. But if you're found and you're starting to advance the kingdom of God, He's going to start messing with you. So Christian, be encouraged. If you've got some opposition, you might just, it might just be because you're doing something for the king of kings. So he starts doing something, and Sam Bellet shows up, and he's trying to get him to doubt his calling, right? He's like, hey, are you rebelling against the king? He's like, no, I'm actually, I'm actually here on the king's orders. But watch how Nehemiah responds in verse, in verse 19 of chapter 2. He says, 
by, or verse 20 rather, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. The first time, he ignores him. The second time, he speaks truth to him. He speaks truth to him. And we'll unpack how powerful that is in just a moment. But sometimes you need to speak truth to the enemy's lies. All right, then he starts working, okay? That's chapter three, right, which we hit last week. We talked about how he signs the gates and, and everybody gets working. But then Sanballat shows up again, Nehemiah chapter four. This guy just won't quit. How many of you know the devil won't quit? How many know you can, you can overcome him in one moment and then the next moment you find him working again? One day you've got victory, the next day you're like, ah, you're facing him again. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Then Tobiah chimes in. They're having like a little put-down contest. Everybody, anybody ever grow up have a put-down contest? Anybody ever have that? Just a Detroit thing, apparently. So, okay. Well, we used to do this all the time. Who can put someone else down better, okay? Verse three, Tobiah's like, oh yeah, how about this one, uh, Sam Ballot, uh, who was at his side. What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their, their wall of stones. And Sam Ballot's like, oh yeah, that's a good one, man. <laughs> even a fox, would oh, that's a good one. I didn't think about that. That was great. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to discourage them in their calling. They distracted them. They try to cause him to doubt. Now they're bringing discouragement. The enemy of your souls wants to discourage you in the work that God has for you. He wants to discourage you in the plan that God has for you. So while, now watch how Nehemiah responds. First time, he ignored it. Second time, he spoke truth to it. Now he prays to God about it. He says, verse four, hear us, our God, for we are despised. I don't know where Nehemiah was emotionally in this moment. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was frustrated. Maybe he had starting to get discouraged a little bit. But he knows this. He's got to bring God into it. You see this all throughout the book of Nehemiah. He's constantly praying. He's constantly involving God and bringing the presence of God. And he says, God, help us for we are despised. And then his prayer turns a little dark. He says, turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity and do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins for your sight for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He says, God help us. You know what he's doing there? He's saying, God be just. God give us justice. God is a God of justice and he wants to give us justice and God does and the people work hard. Verse six. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. We looked at that last week together, right? But Sanballat isn't done. Look, verse seven. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They were incensed and now they're very angry. 
as they move forward, Nehemiah and all of the people rebuilding the wall, so the enemy will move forward. Look at this. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we, come on, everybody, we prayed. We prayed. We went to God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So again, you see Nehemiah. He's constantly praying and working. He's, he's like, it's like Augustine said, he's praying as if the result completely depends on God and he's working as if it completely depends on him. So he's praying and he's working. That's the balance there that you see with Nehemiah. Meanwhile, verse 10, things go from bad to worse. How many of you can be in a battle and you've done everything right and things can go from bad to worse? That's Nehemiah. Look at this. The people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. He's got a problem. He's got a problem. The people are getting tired. The people are getting fatigued. People are getting worn out, and they're making it vocal. And the enemies then show up as well. Verse 11, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. All of this is threats. Actually, there has not been an attack. All of this is threats. How many of you know that the enemy, his primary attack is lies and threats? And so he's trying again to discourage and then ultimately he wants to destroy. Look at this. Then the Jews who live near them came and told us 10 times over, whenever you turn, they will attack us. It's just gonna happen. It's gonna be, it's gonna be bad. It's just gonna go bad. Anybody got any like Debbie Downers in your life? Some, some negative Neds in your life? Some Eeyore characters? You guys remember Winnie the Pooh? It's just gonna go bad. They're gonna attack us. All hope is lost. <laughs> you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get Nehemiah to quit. They're trying to get him to quit. To destroy all hope of his calling. But Nehemiah doesn't quit. He doesn't quit. Look at verse 13. Therefore... I ran afraid. Nope. Therefore, I, I cried. Therefore, I stressed out. Nope. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and the exposed places. He gets smart. He strategizes, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That the one who spoke the world into existence is bigger than the one who was attacking the world. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He says, man, you have a purpose. There is future. There is legacy. There is destiny in your, in, ahead of you if you'll only stay at it. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Victory, baby. Come on, somebody. They overcame opposition. All right. The enemy came to, dis to distract doubt, 
discourage and, and destroy their calling, and Nehemiah overcame each attack. How? I want to give you the four ways that you can overcome the enemy's attacks in your life. I want you to write these things down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write these things down. These will help you. I, seriously, I want you to put this on a post-it note. You can put this in your journal. You can you put this on your steering wheel. You put this in a rearview mirror because the devil will attack you and you've got to be ready, all right? Here's four keys that we see right from this passage. Number one, the first thing is stay away from it. Number two, speak truth to it. Three, pray to God about it. And four, keep moving forward in spite of it. You can keep that on the screen for a second for everybody who's taking a picture of it. Uh, stay away from it. Speak truth to it. Pray to God about it. And keep moving forward in spite of it. I want to I show you. This is what Nehemiah does. It's amazing. It's a clinic. It's systematic. And it's God's word to us on how we can overcome opposition. All right? We're going to unpack these things. We're going to walk away better. We're going to walk away ready to kick the devil in the face. But before we do, turn to three people and say, hey, you've got this because God's got this. Come on, try. Find three people and say, you've got this. Because God's got this. You've got this because God's got this. All right. Number one, stay away from it. Everybody say, stay away. Sometimes the best way is just to stay away. Sometimes the best way is just to stay away. Okay. Let's go back to the passage, right? When Sam Ballot hears about it, he sends word that he's not happy. And again, it would have been easy for Nehemiah to be like, oh, man, I knew this was going to be hard. This is, I don't want any trouble. I don't want opposition. I just want to sit here in my nice, comfortable palace eating all of the king's food. It would have been, he could have done that. He could have been like, you know what? This sounded like a great idea, but you know what? <laughs> Man, that view from the Palace Citadel is amazing. Oh, oh, the coffee mm, was so good. I don't want any trouble. It would have been easy, but he, he presses on, and it's amazing. He doesn't do a whole lot. He just keeps doing what he, know God ha what he knows God has called him to do. He just ignores it. Look at verse 11. I went. Sam Bellet sent threats, and he says, I went. And then he starts working. He's like, shake my head, talk to the hand. Bye, Felicia. He just does his thing. He just does his thing. Can I just tell you this? Not every battle is worth fighting. Not every situation is worthy of your attention. And sometimes the enemy will bring something just to bait you, just to see if you'll engage. You don't have to engage with everything. Sometimes, see, the enemy knows, he's like, he's like a master fisherman, all right? He knows what bait to use. He knows what lure to use. He's like, I'll just throw that out there and see if they take that, you know, and see what happens. You know, and I throw that out there. And we're just swimming wrong. You're just swimming. Doing your Christian thing. He's like. All of a sudden. You know, and we take it like, and he's yanked. Sometimes, leave it alone. Just keep on. This, you'll never forget this image right here. <laughs> just keep on swimming. <laughs> My daughter this week, she, uh. 
we got all of our uh, Halloween candy like in advance, like for the first time ever. So like, <laughs> like usually we're like today, we're buying it this afternoon, you know? And so we, uh, we bought it like on Monday. I was like, man, we have arrived. We have arrived. Um, and, uh, but it was not great for my kids who had to look at the candy all day, you know, or all week long, you know? So I'm sure there's like half of the candy that we bought uh, left. Um, but my daughter, she's, she's three, and she was like, she's like, there was a bucket full, and she's like, I, I, this is, she's like walking around with it, you know. She's like carrying it. She goes, and it was like time for her to go to bed. She's like, I'm just going to take this to my room. <laughs> and I was like, do you, think it's a really, do you think it's a good idea? She goes, oh, I'm just, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to look at it. <laughs> I was like, you don't look at it so long that you're going to eat it. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just stay away, right? You got to just stay away. If you fight every battle, even if you win every battle, the enemy wins just by getting you to engage and get distracted from what God has for you. Let me just tell you this. Not every thought deserves contemplation. Every thought that comes into your head, it doesn't deserve contemplation. I think Martin Luther said that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. The birds are going to fly over, but you don't have to let them in. Not every criticism merits a response. We can see that with Nehemiah. He's like, okay, great. Anyways, he doesn't, he doesn't get engaged. Let me just tell you this. Not every news story deserves your social media commentary. Uh-oh, come on, somebody. Right? Because, like, how many of you have noticed this? You're having an amazing day. An amazing day. You get up. You pray. You read your Bible. You send the kids to school. They're all smiling. They've all eaten somewhat decently healthy. And you're ready to go throughout your day. You're like, oh, God, you've got great things for me. This is going to be an amazing day. Oh, I just want to get on my social profile. Oh, my goodness. I am angry. And it's like, y'all, you were doing fine. Two seconds ago, you were fine. And now you're not. And guess whose fault it is? Yours. Not every, it's bait. It's bait. And he's trying to get us to, sometimes you just need to walk away. Sometimes that gossip conversation at work, you know, you're at the lunchroom table. If you have lunchroom at your work, all right, all right. And you're just there, and like someone starts going in, and you're like, this is not going anywhere good. And sometimes you know what you need to do? You just need to be like, see ya. Just walk away. Just walk away. Sometimes if that thought comes in, and you know it's going to take you to places you don't want to go, in a similar way, you might need to literally physically get up and leave that location to put yourself in a different frame of mind. Temptation looking at something on the web that you shouldn't be looking at because you know it's going to take you to a place you don't want to go. Sometimes you just need to stay away. Don't try to be strong in the midst of temptation. Just avoid it altogether. And take thoughts captive as they come. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When the thoughts are there that don't belong there, you take them captive. You say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to go there. Again, 
all of this that Sanballat was bringing against Nehemiah was lies, was lies. And so you, sometimes you, you don't have to pay attention to them. You, you, just, you just don't need to pay attention to the lies. Sometimes you need to cut off the distractions. And as you cut them off, you resist the devil. James 4 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Sometimes the way you resist him is just by avoiding them altogether. But just, but just don't go to the place that you know is going to trip you up. It could be limiting that form of social media or news media. Well, I've got to stay informed. Says who? What you have to do is stay close to him. That's what you really need to do. Could be a toxic relationship. And you need to get rid of it. Could be limiting your internet time or getting filters. Stay away from the things that are going to take you away. All right? First thing is stay away from it. Second thing is speak truth to it. So Nehemiah avoids the first time, but then the second time, what does he do? He responds with truth. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I answer them by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. He responds with truth. He says, this is God's will. God has called me. The king is behind me. And I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you want to overcome opposition in your life and the enemy's attack of your life, speak truth. And where is the truth? Where is the only truth that we can know is truth? The word of God. The, thy word is truth. God's word. You know, that's how Jesus overcame the devil. It's truth. He used the word. Think about this. This is very interesting. My wife and I were talking about this week. The word of God used the word of God to do the will of God. Like, it's amazing. Jesus was the word. He was at the beginning, and yet he uses all, I mean, he could have just spoke, and that would have been the word. But he used the word of God. It's powerful. There is power in Scripture. There's power in the word of God. And Jesus, Jesus uses the word and the, Ephesians 6 tells us in the armor of God dissertation that it is our only offensive weapon. So everything else is very defensive. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation is very, very defensive in a way. But, but the word of God is our offensive weapon. It's what we take and we start, when the devil starts bringing our, his lies our way, we start bringing God's truth his way. We start saying things like, no, listen, I know. He's like, oh, yeah, you're not a child of God. God doesn't have anything for you. Oh, man, you're nothing. You've failed. You've messed up. You say this, you know, the one who called me is faithful, and he will do it. You start slicing. Then you could go to Philippians chapter 1. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work, you just personalize it, in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And you can personalize 2 Timothy chapter 2. If I am faithless, even when I'm weak, even, even when I mess up, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And Romans 8, 31, what then shall I say in response to any attack or anything that the devil might bring my way? If God is for me, who can be against me. You speak truth to the devil's schemes. And all of a sudden you start to see your disposition change and you gain greater victory 
in your life. Next thing, pray to God about it. Pray to God about it. So he ignores it, then he speaks truth to it, then he goes to God, right? Sambalat doesn't stop, and Nehemiah says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. I don't know if he was tired. I don't know if he was overwhelmed. But I do know this. There will be moments when you're just, all you can do is throw up a prayer, God, help me. But you know what? That's, sometimes that's the most powerful prayer. Sometimes you have some great flowery prayers, and you just nail it, and you're like, at the end of it, you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then sometimes you're like, oh, God, just, just help me. I think those are the better prayers a lot of times because they're just from the heart. They're you and God. You're not trying too hard. You're just being real. I found that when you bring God into the situation, it just instantly changes. Whether it be a temptation, a discouragement, you start bringing, like, just say the name of Jesus. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, if, you're, if there's a temptation that you're struggling with, just start saying the name of Jesus. Watch it change. Like, that fear, watch the fear change. Watch the anxiety change. Watch that temptation lose its grip on you. You start saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, come into this situation. Jesus, I don't want to think like that. Jesus, I don't want to be like that. Jesus, I don't want to look at that. Jesus, I want to look at you. Watch the situation change. Bring God into it. Jesus did this. In fact, he said, he said to pray when you go into temptation. Look, Matthew chapter 6, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It says, lead us not there, but take us to you. Lead us to you. He prays for those who are crucifying him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When the darkness is creeping in against Jesus, he prays. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, all this emotion, all of this undoubted attack from the devil. And he says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup, yet not my will, yours be done. When you're in trouble, pray that prayer. God, not my will, but yours be done. God, not that temptation, your will be done. Not that thought pattern, your will be done. You start praying that. Start bringing God into your situation. Watch your situation change. And the last and final thing is this. Keep moving forward in spite of it. Even after Nehemiah prays, the opposition continues. But what does he do? He keeps moving forward. He gets some bricks. He's like, all right, guys, come on, let's keep going. And everyone's like, oh, no, this is going terrible. All the Eeyores show up. Yeah, this is horrible. Oh, man, this whole thing's going down. Nehemiah, you're a terrible leader. Why did you bring us here? Remember Moses and the Israelites? Same thing. Why did you bring us out into this wilderness just to die? Thanks for nothing, Moses. That's what's happening. And you know what? He doesn't stop. There's, there's some strength in him. There's some spiritual strength. Even in the midst of all of this, he's like... Anybody come, whoever's with me, let's just go. Come on. You, you stand there with the sword. You, you look over there. Everybody else, come on, start grabbing some bricks. And everybody else have a sword on them just in case. Brick by brick, they start rebuilding. He just keeps going. Sometimes 
you got to just keep going. I want you to know this. The devil's main game for you is to give up. He wants you to give up. Have you ever, have you found yourself asking this for a moment? Just think about this for, a, for just a second. Have you found yourself asking when you're, when you're facing opposition, when things are difficult, have you found yourself saying, what's even the point? Have you ever asked that? What's the point of this? Well, I mean, I don't even, I just even worry. As soon as you ask that question, I want you to know this. That is the devil working, not God. Every time you start to go there, that's the devil. What's the point? What's the point? Because there is a point. There is a way. There is a right. And his name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. There is a purpose. It is God. There is a point to all this. It's honoring him and it's bringing glory to him and it's bringing as many people to him and with us as possible. There is a point, but the devil wants you to give up on that. He wants you to say, what's the point? If you give up, he wins. If you push forward, he loses. Here's the thing. He's already lost. Do you know that? He's actually already lost the whole thing. He's, when Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he took the keys to hell. So death has no hold on us. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to mark you. It doesn't have to own you. Only if you let it. So every time you say in the name of Jesus, I'm going to start building I'm going to keep building. I'm going to keep moving. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by this. I will not be denied. Sometimes just a simple move forward just pushes back his kingdom, the devil's kingdom, and it advances God's kingdom. Every time you pray, you push back the darkness. Every time you give, you push back the darkness. Every time you serve, every time you become less selfish, Every time you become more generous, every time you become more loving, you push back the darkness, you bring glory to God, and you bring his kingdom on earth. And we do it all if we don't give up. Galatians chapter 6 says this, let us not become weary in doing good. Some of you, you've become weary in doing good. And maybe you found yourself asking, what's the point? I don't even know. Don't become weary, for at the proper time, at God's time, at the right time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up. The devil wants you to give up. God's just asking you to step up. Just keep moving forward. You don't know what might be ahead of you just ahead of you, if you'll just take one more step. Don't give up. Last year, I know it was, it was a terrible year for so many people. It was a really, really challenging year as a pastor to try to get everybody together and like keep everybody together and so much discouragement, so much division, trying to keep people together and just like, oh my goodness, all you see is just, just it was really, really 
challenging. And, and I remember just going, like the staff was discouraged. Like it was hard. I just remember going back to that verse. I just kept going back to that verse. <laughs> if we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I kept telling them that. I was like, hey, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Hey, don't think about two months. Don't think about three months. Don't think about six months. Don't think about when's this going to get back to normal. When's all this going to get fixed? Don't think about that. Just say, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And just keep going. Take one more step, one more step. Didn't know where we were going to end up. Our leases were up at the end of this year. Everything just looked very, very difficult. And we just kept saying we will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest. Reap a harvest. All the while, behind the scenes, God was working in a miraculous way to bring two churches together so that we can move forward in his purpose and push back the darkness in our city. Now we've got a great piece of ground, our best opportunity literally just in front of us. And I just, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in close to, to, to giving up. I mean, you know, I, I, that wasn't it for me. But man, the devil was whispering that in my ears. And I had to keep reminding myself, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. You've got to keep tucking that into your spirit and saying, God, I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust what you say about me, not what the enemy is saying to me or about me. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it even when I cannot see it. And I'm going to press on and I'm going to keep building. For at the right time, at God's time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story. We thank you for Nehemiah and how you were using this to help us understand how to keep going forward in what you have for us. And Lord, I know there are people who are discouraged here today. I know there are people who are, who are facing opposition. They're facing the enemy's attacks. Lord, I just pray that in the name of Jesus, you would bring strength and hope and grace. Lord, I just pray for it. I ask you for it. I pray that your will would be done. I pray that your kingdom would come in their hearts and their lives. Make your presence known. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment. I want to ask you, maybe some of you today, man, you're going through it. And as I'm talking, you know this is right for you. And you've been experiencing some opposition. You've been experiencing an overwhelming attack. And man, maybe even today you've come into this place and you've, ready, you've been ready to give up. I want you to know that God sees you. He loves you as a plan for you. And he wants to strengthen you. But he will not force himself on you. He wants to be invited in. So if that's you and you're saying, man, I need this. I needed this. And I want God to help me. If that's you and you're saying, man, I just need some extra help. I need some grace to overcome some opposition. Would you just raise your hand at both locations? Come on, just slip it up all over across this place. Yeah, just raise it up. Hold out. Hands are going up everywhere. Just hold it up for a second. Reach out to God. Let's pray right now. Father, we pray for every person who's raising their hand. We just pray that you would give them hope and strength and light and life and encouragement and grace in Jesus' name. Let it happen, God. Let it happen right now in Jesus' name. You can put your hands down. Keep your heads bowed for one more moment. I want to ask you one other question. So we're going to worship here in just a second, but the most important question that 
that any of us answer is the question is, have we accepted Christ? And I want to give you an opportunity to do that because on our own, on our own, we are on our own. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't have, you don't have the ability. You literally don't have the resource because you're on your own. But when you come under the lordship of Christ, now you are a child of God. And God wants to do what he can do for you. He can, he can do anything. And so God wants to be that for you. But if you're on your own, you just have your own sin. And you have separation from him. And he doesn't want that. And in your heart, you really don't want that, but you need to follow him. And so if you're here today and you're saying, man, I need to make a decision, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, to follow Jesus. God wants to change you, wants to do something great in your life, and we want to pray for you. So if that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, Scott, man, that's me. Just, just pray for me. Hands going up. Yeah, it's awesome. Yep, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yep, South Campus online. Just interact with the chat. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Father, I pray for every person who's reaching out. I pray right now that, God, there would be a unique outpouring of your grace on their life, Lord, and that they would experience you and the life that you have, being born again, being a child of God. Let it happen. And, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, will you stand with me all across this place? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down to the front. We're going to sing just for a moment. So before we rush out of here, I just want to kind of, I want to cement what God's doing in our hearts. If you, if you raise your hand for the first question or the second question, like, man, I'm going through it, or man, I just, I want to give my life to Christ. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to believe God to do something amazing in your life. And uh, God has something for you. Um, and we want, to, we want to pray for you. The reality is this. God is greater. And when we put our hope in him, He's going to do great and powerful things in our lives. So can we just take a moment all across this place? Would you just lift your hands as a prayer to God and say, God, I thank you and I worship you and I give you my life and I give you my battles and I give you my opposition and I give you my weakness and I pray that your kingdom would come. Let your will be done right here and right now. Come on, let's worship.